This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. This evening uh, to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. We'll read a few verses together, beginning from verse verse 8. So 2 Samuel 23, verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joshua Bathshebeth, the Tachmonite, chief of the captains. He was called Adino the Esnite because he had killed 800 men at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Yehoite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel had retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought a, about a great victory that day, and the people returned him after him only to plunder. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Harite, the Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. And so the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. Then three of the 30 men, chief men, went down, to, went down at harvest time and came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. And David was then in the stronghold or in that particular cave. And the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines and drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it, brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. David, as you can see, is, is at this point in life, he's hiding in dens and caves in the mountains. He has been anointed king, but a jealous and vindictive Saul has forced him into exile want to kill him, tried to kill him. And apart from that, he's in the midst of hostile Philistines uh, who would do anything to get their hands on him. And so here he is with roughly 600, a motley crew by and large, but among them, some mighty men. And here they are in this cave called Adullam. And from this bolt hole, he can look out over the land which he was born to reign in, even though now he has been hounded from it. And as he looks over into the distance, uh, he can see the very fields where just as a lad he shepherded his father's sheep. As he looks further, he can see the very valley where he slew the giant of Gath. But see him now, he's in this cave. His back is against the wall in more ways than one. And he's despondent 
He's discouraged, he's tired, he's weary, and he's thirsty. His spear is by his side. No doubt his shield is at his feet. And I can imagine him in my mind's eye sitting there with his head in his hands, bowed low. And beside him would be these mighty men, great seasoned warriors. Maybe they were talking about their next campaign against the Philistines. But David's sitting there, and there's a thought in his heart. And, and that thought stumbles out over his lips. It's not a command, it's not an order. He's actually just thinking out loud. And the thought is there where we read, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Do you ever sit or stand or in your car and you're thinking about something and you find yourself talking to yourself? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's all he was doing. He was just quietly just thinking and it just, it just slipped out. But then, what is the significance of the water by the well of Bethlehem? I mean, if it's simply just because you're really, really thirsty, and I'm sure they all were very thirsty, well, sure, a cup of cold water from anywhere would be just as good. But it's not so much the waters of the well he's thinking about, it's the memories of the water of the well at Bethlehem. That's what he's thinking about. And I would say this is a bit of escapism. He's in a tight spot, and he's looking back to happier times, to childhood days, to carefree days, to times when he hadn't a worry in the world. All he had to do was look after his father's sheep. Yes, there would be the case of the lion and the bear, but by and large, it was a mundane job, and he could think, it all day to think, and it was carefree. But here he is, and he's under pressure, and he's in a tight spot. Saul wants to kill him. The Philistines is only 12 miles away, and they're surrounding Bethlehem. And no doubt they've got guards on the well of Bethlehem because water is a precious commodity. And so, in a few moments, he's just indulging in a little bit of escapism. And who among us hasn't done that? Who among us hasn't felt at times like heading for the hills, as we say? You know, let me out of here. I just want to go somewhere else and do something else but this right now. And all of us has had those moments. Somehow for David at this moment, life had tasted sweeter back then. I remember when I was just a little boy, I, I don't know what age, maybe nine, ten, something like eight, nine, ten, something like that. Probably younger, actually, probably seven or eight. And I, I can't remember. My father was a good father. He, he, was a, he was a loving father. He worked hard all his life to, to, to help his, his children. I, I only ever remember him smacking me once in my life. 
but I can never ever remember him doing anything with me. Uh, maybe he did when I was very small, but I can't remember. I can't remember growing up ever we did something together. And that's not to put him down. Maybe that was that generation. They just worked hard. And they came home and they were dog tired. And the mother looked after the kids and that was just about it. But there was a, an older couple who just lived up the street. And they were childless. And I befriended them and they befriended me. And looking back, I think probably I was the wee boy they never had. And to show you just how young I was at that time, that's why I'm forgetting the age, but I'm thinking how young I must have been because I called her Granny and him Uncle. <laughs> it wasn't Granny and Granda, her uncle, none of us. She was Granny, he was Uncle. She looked like her Granny, he looked like an uncle to me. But I remember Uncle, uh, when I came home from school and I, I did my homework, and uh, well, mostly sometimes I didn't do it, but whenever I did do it, you I don't know what it's like now, but you just put your bag in the corner and you just head it up the river. I live near a river and you head it up the fields to play. Now I think there's so many homeworks they can't even, can't even get them finished before bedtime at times. But anyway, he would take me up the river. There was an old narrow gauge railway that no longer was working for years. And he would tell me about the different types of birds and the animals and, and the curlies and the snipes and the foxes and the badgers. And I thought this was wonderful. Because, you know, my dad never did this. I thought this was great. And so we would come back home, and my mother would say, well, where were you today? And he would say, we were in Australia today. And I believed that. <laughs> I was so innocent. Australia could have been just around the corner as far as I knew. And I didn't know. I never heard tell of Australia. And, and I remember... Many, many years later, my own daughter, Clara, I think she was maybe about 10 at the time, she says to me, Dad, remember in the old days, <laughs> when you were a wee boy, she says, you, you told me about going up the railway and the river. She says, would you take me and my cousins up there? I says, that's a good idea. And so her and her two cousins, are all about the same age, we got our, our, our wellies on and, and we, we headed up to the river, walked up the river beside the railway, <laughs> And uh, we, we, again, we talked about the various birds, and bird, we looked for birds' nests, and all the things that kids love to do. And we came to this little waterfall. And when you come to the waterfall, to get across it, you had to take off your wellies, and you had to roll your trouser legs up above your knees because it was quite deep. And then I put them on my back, and I took them across. Sally didn't know that at the time, and I didn't tell her that. And I thought this was wonderful, and it was great. And as I did that, I remembered, I looked back to when I was a wee boy doing the same thing, and it was a happy time, it was a carefree time, it was a time of innocence and, and fun and all of that there. And I think that's the place where David had just got to. He was looking back to better times, and he, he was escaping a little bit in his mind. In Psalm 55 and 6, again, when he was on the run from his own son Absalom, and, and Absalom actually wanted to kill him too and take the throne from him. And so when he was in exile, in Psalm 55, verse 6, he says, So I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Ah, 
if only, if only I could just have wings like a dove and just take off and just leave all this trouble behind me. And I think every one of us has experienced that feeling. And that's what David is doing. Elijah had the same feeling when he lay under the juniper tree. And he said, Lord, it is enough. I'm tired of this. I'm weary of it all. I've done my best in Mount Carmel, and nothing has changed. The people are the same. The king and the queen wants to kill me. Lord, just, just take me home. I'm fed up. <laughs> Jeremiah, he says, Lord, you made me a prophet to the nation, but every time I give your message to the nation, they, they rebuke me, and they want to stone me, and they want to put me in prison in a pit. I'm never going to speak in your name ever again. I've had it. Hmm. I think that David was just longing for the, the simple things in life again. Life can get so complicated, can't it? It can become very, very tricky. One day it's a breeze, the next day it's a storm. One day David felt a hero, and the next day he'd feel a heel. One day you feel you're rising up like an eagle, and the next day you feel you're a turkey. The weight of responsibility, the responsibility of parenthood, responsibility of your job or your career or your school or your education or your business or whatever, there's just sometimes it just gets so complicated and you wished it was easier. The Apostle Paul, who went through a lot of stuff in his life, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, he says, we are hard-pressed on every side, yet we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're struck down. One translation says, but we're not struck out. <laughs> when you read all the stuff that Paul went through, life involves dealing with people. And people don't come in neat little made-to-measure, identikit, cloned people. Uh, I remember reading a book years ago I forget what it is now, but the title intrigued me. It was called Building with Bananas. And it was some pastor, he wrote a book, you know, about the church, you know, like building, building stones. Only he says stones is nice, neat, and square, and you can fit them, but he says people are like bananas. They're all out all of shape all the time. And he says it's like building with bananas. And so Paul wrote about, in the last chapter of Romans, he wrote about friends, people that encouraged him, that helped him. And he listed 30 different names. He remembered every person that helped him, that supported him, that was for him. And he listed them in Romans chapter 16. Now you read that list, it doesn't mean a thing to you. But can you imagine when the church at Rome read that? And those names was read out. Could you imagine them feeling, ah, Paul remembered me. And he did. He did. 
For the other side of the coin, in 2 Timothy 4.14, he writes this, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord reward him according to his works. <laughs> you know, when you think about it, you think about what Jesus says, to love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. I think Paul just kind of forgot about that at that moment, didn't he? You know, the Lord reward him according to his works, the dirty rascal. <laughs> no, he didn't say I said that, but that's what he was thinking. <laughs> he had the grace not to write that, but that's what he was thinking, wasn't it? So even the great apostle Paul, spiritual giant as he was, there was just some people you know, some people are lovely and they're gentle and they're just easy to get on with and you just flow. There's other people and they're tetchy and they're prickly. And <sighs> Perhaps Queen Victoria, by the way, you know that to this present day that the Queen of England, that every week she's got to meet with the current Prime Minister. Whether she likes them or whether she doesn't, she's got to meet with them. They've got to have an audience with the Queen every week. And uh, Queen Victoria, so you're going back a long time, she said at that time there was William Gladstone, the Prime Minister, and then there was Benjamin Disraeli. And she says that whenever Gladstone came to see me, she said, you, you got the feeling you're in the presence of a world leader. But she says, when Disraeli came to see me, I got the presence, I got the idea that he was in the presence of a world leader. That he made me feel I was a world leader. And there's a difference, isn't there? Henry Fonda, Henry Fonda, Henry Ford, <laughs> Henry Fonda, where did that come from? <laughs> Uh, Henry Ford, a, a man asked him one time, they're sitting in a restaurant, and the man asked him, he says, uh, Mr. Ford, he says, uh, what would you say as a true friend? And he mentioned <coughs> a few people that Ford knew, and uh, thinking it was one of those. And Ford says, no. And he took out a napkin and he wrote on it, a true friend is one that brings out the best in you. A true friend is one that brings out the best in you. And David had surrounded himself with some true friends who brought out the best in him, as we'll see in a moment or two, who brought out the best in him. And so here he is, sitting, thinking out loud about this drink of water. Maybe the well of Bethlehem reminded him of past victories. You know, this is the area where he grew up. And maybe he remembered killing the lion and the bear. Well, how could you forget? Maybe he thought about that. <coughs> maybe he looked back when he was <coughs> looking out over the land that day when just a boy he faced Goliath of Gath, that nine-foot giant, and slew him. So maybe he's looking back on past victories. He's maybe remembering the time at Ziglag 
were again in exile, and they went into the land of the Philistines. And how that when Hemenes small army were out one day and left behind their wives and their children and their goods. And when they came back, the Amalekite raiding parties had come in and they had stolen his two wives and all the men's wives and all the children and everything. And the people thought to stone David. They were so angry and they blamed him for this. And you remember how he he got alone with the Lord. And he said to the Lord, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? Do I pursue after this trip? And the Lord said, pursue, for you shall surely recover all. And so he led his men, and he pursued the Amalekites, and he caught them. And he brought back alive every single woman, boy, and child, every one of them. He brought them back safely and all of his goods. So maybe he was remembering those things as he's sitting here thinking about this well. It's always good to remind yourself of past victories because we so easily forget them when we're in a jam, we're in a tight spot. And it's good to look back at the times when God delivered us, when he provided for us, when he came through for us, when we wondered, how in the world am I going to handle this? I've never been in this situation before, but I am now. What am I going to do? But the Lord got you through, and here you are sitting here tonight. And maybe have forgotten about that time that the Lord came through for you. So sometimes you have to hit the rewind button play it again in your mind and think about it and say to yourself, Lord, you came through for me then, you'll come through for me now. You came through for me yesterday, you'll come through for me today. You met my need in that situation, you can meet my need in this situation. There's times you just have to remind yourself. As Lamentation says of the Lord's <laughs> mercies, <coughs> that are new and they're fresh every morning for great is his faithfulness. Yes, it's true that Paul could remember every stripe, every beating, every shipwreck, every time he stood before a court, every time he was imprisoned, every time he nearly drowned, every time he was starving. He could remember all those. He couldn't forget them. In fact, he enumerated them in his letters. But in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, he always remembered his victories. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding weight of eternal glory. 2 Corinthians 2, 14. Now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. In spite of it all, he will cause us to triumph. And so you got to try to remember your past victories. Those times when you didn't know what to do or who to turn to. I remember in the early days of this ministry, and Sally could tell you, there was times we stood at this pulpit saying, next week, 
such and such as we're going to do. And we walked out that door not knowing if there's going to be a next week in here because people were threatening to take it away. And I remember walking at night, walking up the road, saying, Lord, what do I do? How do I do this? How are we going to get through this? But you know what? Next week came, and we're still there. And the following week, and the following month, and the following year, and we're still here. But at the time, at the time, and so I can look back on those victories. I can look back on those times whenever we didn't even have, it was the end of the month, and the mortgage had to be paid for this place, and we didn't have a penny, nothing. And the day before, because I remember that time I had to run down to the bank in Belfast and pay it. And the day before, the money came in. Or an envelope came through the letterbox or something. I tell you what, that puts legs on your prayers. That gets you on your knees. And then David, he gets his cup of cold water. Arino, Eleazar, and Shammah, they're sitting, and they just overhear David saying, I wish somebody would just get me a drink of the water of the well at Bethlehem by the gate. And I can imagine one saying to the other, did David actually say he wanted a drink at the well? Yeah. Yeah, I heard him say that. <coughs> Shall we do it? But there's hundreds of Philistines there. There must be guarding the well, I'm sure. Come on, let's do it. So these three mighty men, I don't know when, was during the day, probably at night, most probably at night, when the garrison maybe was sleeping and there's just centuries on. But, but, the well would be guarded. And though it doesn't tell us, I'm sure, I'm sure they had to fight to get that drink of water for David. And got it, they did. Whatever the cost, even if it was their lives, <coughs> they were going to get this drink for their captain. Isn't it great to have, to have friends that would would do that for you? Isn't it great in life to have friends, lifelong friends, who care for you, who care that much for you, that they'll go the extra mile for you? Thank God for lifelong friends. And David has some great men here. And so they bring him back the drink of this precious water that he so desired. But whenever they bring it back to him, he is so moved, he can hardly believe it. He hadn't really asked them for it. They just slipped out and did it. And he's so moved that he wouldn't even drink it. Nevertheless, David would not drink it. But he poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. 
Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. You say, well, what do you think those three men thought about that? Do you think they thought, oh, that was a waste of time. That didn't do much good. He's not even drinking it. He's throwing it down in the dirt here. No, no. Now, they would know that when David did that, that was a wonderful thing to do. They would know that he realized the danger and the effort that they went to to get that drink. And it wasn't that he just threw it down as if he didn't care. He poured it out as a drink offering to the Lord. Now, he would see priests do this. And a drink offering was poured out when a sacrifice was made. Like a burnt offering, say. And the priests, and it was always with a sacrifice. And a priest would pour out the drink offering, signifying that a sacrifice had been made as unto the Lord. And David's showing that in this act of pouring this out. So those men would realize that he knew, understood perfectly the risks they had taken and the lengths they had gone to. And so this was honoring them when he poured it out before the Lord. This act of pouring out before the Lord, <coughs> signifying a sacrifice in in Psalm 22, that great messianic psalm speaking of Christ himself verse 14 I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint my heart is like wax and it melts within me my strength is dried up like a pot shred and my tongue clings to my jaws you have brought me to the dust of death I am poured out like water. Jesus on that cross poured his life out for us. He made the supreme sacrifice. In Isaiah 53, that other great messianic chapter, in verse 14 it says, well, let me read in verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He poured out his soul unto death. The Apostle Paul, away over there in Philippians chapter 2, Verse 16, he tells them, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain nor labored in vain. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul treated his life as a poured out drink offering. Everything he had, he was willing to sacrifice for the Lord. His whole life. 
would be poured out. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, let me just read this for you. In verse 6, he says, For I am already, this is, he's just writing this at the end of his life before he dies. I am ready, already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Jesus is our David. He's the captain of our salvation. And our lives should be like a drink offering poured out to him in honor of him. Paul says, my whole life, and he's an old man now, relatively speaking, he's got to the end of his ministry, his time on earth, and he says, I'm already being poured out like the drink offering. What would we be willing to pour out for the captain of our salvation? As a drink offering. I would hope, I would hope everything that we have, everything that we are, that we'd be willing pour out for him who made the supreme sacrifice for us and so David had surrounded himself with these wonderful men these great friends true blues faithful to the nth degree willing to lay their lives down for a drink of water for their captain How much more should we do this for Christ? Eh? And if we do, at the end of the day, when we stand before him, we want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to hear? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have given us, every one of us, in some way or other, this wonderful opportunity to serve you, to be a faithful servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. We may never stand behind a pulpit. We may never sing here in this stage or play an instrument here. But in our workplace in the school, the university, wherever we are, we are your servants. And help us to pour out our lives for you. We thank you that you poured out your life for us. You gave your very blood for us. No sacrifice was too great for us. So we thank you tonight, Lord Jesus. And we thank you that you are our Savior tonight, our Lord and Savior. And we give you thanks that you came 
to die on that cross for each of us. So Lord, help us to whatever capacity we have got, whatever talents you've put within us, whatever giftings, help us to use it to the best of our ability, that you may be glorified, that lives may be impacted for Christ, and we'll give you the thanks, and we'll give you the praise, and we'll give you the honor, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.